We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Saturday. Welcome back from the perspective. Lon Martin, along with me, my co-host, Harrison Kelly. Hello. And with us in the studio today are SOT editors, Carolyn McCallum. Hi. Shane Lachance. Hi, everybody. And Mr. William Barbet. Good afternoon, everyone. This week, we are very happy to have with us Joaquin Hagopian. Joaquim is a licensed therapist and best known for his blog, American Empire. Blogspot.com. And veterans today. And he has in recent months been interviewed by RT and Press TV. Joaquim is also the author of the excellent book, Don't Let the Bastards Get You Down which is a personal account of his experiences as a cadet at West Point Military Academy in the early 1970s. The book can be read on Joaquim's website, redredsea.net forward slash West Point Hagopian, spelled H-A-G-O-P-I-A-N forward slash index dot HTML. Actually, I think we got a correction I think it's a prologue.html. Well, that link, oh, this this is the correct link. Okay. But it just wasn't working for a short time. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say about the book, I hope it gets published sometime soon because it's a terrific read, And uh, but you can read it for free online. In any case, welcome to the show, Joaquin. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Excellent. So let's just jump right in. Uh, I have to say that after reading your book, that it became clear that your experiences at West Point must have been a kind of uh, lens from which you saw the world, and a new lens or, or way of seeing things, and must have informed much of what you write about today in your articles. Um, I thought we'd just begin, if you could just give a description of what West Point is and how you came to go to school there what your motivations were at the time, and what you imagined your experience would be like. Sure. I grew up a uh, young, idealistic kid. Um, this is at the time, really, at the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, I entered Westland. I got a congressional appointment. Uh, I grew up in western Massachusetts, right outside of Springfield. And... Uh, and I got the appointment, and I was trying to follow in my father's military footsteps. He uh, was a decorated war hero in, during World War II in the Korean War. He spent 20 years on, on uh, as the uh, officer and indoctrinated me from a very early age that I would uh, serve my country and be a patriot. And, uh, you know, so I, I was steeped in that tradition. <laughs> 
And uh, I felt, well, that's my role in life. Uh, I kind of like uh, ran with his dream. It really wasn't mine. I thought it was mine at the time. Then I entered West Point in July of uh, 1969. And uh, incidentally, within the first three or four weeks there, there were some rather major events that were going on in the world. Um, my Senator Ted Kennedy did his little thing off Chappaquiddick Bridge, uh, unfortunately killing his passenger, the drowning incident. And there went uh, the last uh, son of Joe Kennedy's aspirations for another president. Uh, that happened uh, probably at the end of July, I think. Uh, Robert Kennedy. Also, uh, uh, within a week of that, I think, was the uh, lunar landing. Uh, of course, there's a lot of controversy about whether they actually were on the moon or somewhere out in the desert somewhere in a studio or something. But uh, anyway, uh, I got to watch that on the big screen in South uh, Cadet, a new cadet at that time. Uh, you know, Bob, guys, wow, America, look what we're doing, you know, blah, blah. And, uh, and then about three weeks after that came uh, Woodstock, and uh, which was not far from West Point, actually, but I was a million miles away from, from the world of Woodstock uh, in every cultural way. Um, so those were the events happening, and, and uh, I had a wake-up call from the very first day there because uh, I realized uh, the, the whole game is to just shock you. Uh, with stress and it, it's you know kind of like we we make your life miserable as possible to weed the weak ones out that's their game and uh you know it's rush rush and, and they're screaming at you all day long and, and it was a lot of bullshit i mean i i just endured and figured that um you know this is my role i i must uh you know, following my father's footsteps and, and, uh, but it was like, a, you know, they do a brainwash there. Um, really they, they, they strip you. Okay. You come in, you know, you, you know, they have a lot of, uh, jocks from high school, a lot of bright young people, probably high egos, uh, from high school. And then they strip it all down. So you're the lowest thing on earth. That's their game. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they give you all these rules and and petty little just Mickey Mouse crap, and you have to jump through all the hoops. It is a very stressful time, especially during those first two months, July and August, before the academic year begins. And um, so, if you manage to make it through that, then you go, you know, into the academic year as a freshman or otherwise known as a plebe or beanhead, as they are called, uh, and it's a very demeaning process. It, it's a, a brainwash. They, they, they get the cadets into you know, jumping through all the hoops and believing that, you know, the rules are a good thing and, and we must follow the rules. And in order to be, they will always say, in order to be a good leader, you have to become a good follower at first. And so, you know, I, you know, from the day one, I, it was like the wrong place for me. But, you know, I had this thing. I, I had to follow in my father's footsteps. It was a dream that I thought I it was mine. And, and uh, well, it's very difficult. I, I was uh, 
very outspoken says that um, all they do is brainwash people into becoming followers and not really leaders. And I found that they reward the people that comply with the rules the most and then enforce the rules and make other people's lives worse by constantly equate merits. You know, it's a road system. I was a very odd, broken system of training future leaders to run this country. And uh, I've spoken. It's an inhumane, dehumanizing system uh, that's totally unjust. And and I, like I say, I was very outspoken. So by the end of my third year there, I uh, had a reputation as a troublemaker, a rebel. And, uh, and I did, in order to keep my sanity, uh, break a few rules. And, uh, so I, I ended up, uh, basically they decided to railroad me out of the academy at the end of my third year. Now, had it been at the end of my first or second year, I would have just been able to uh, get kicked out and move on with my life. But when I only had one year left of graduation, they were going to, they kicked me out. They actually did put my demerits up the allowable limit of 102, and I ended up with 107, five over, on a bunch of trumped up false charges, and I uh, I was then uh, committed to having to do four years, I believe, uh, in the Army starting as a private, um, so it was a command conspiracy to begin with, which is very unfair, where the colonel said, get these guys, it was my roommate and, and, and myself, and they ran our demerits up in the last uh, couple of weeks of the term, mm-hmm. and uh, and they kicked us out. And um, and we went down to New York City. I, I called a, I had a law instructor in my junior year, and I, I called him up and gave him the, the whole skinny on what they was happening to us, that they were railroading us out. And he had a friend, uh, Joan Goldberg in New York City, who's an attorney, and she had some dealings with West Point before. I think she handled the a cadet's uh, conscientious objector case successfully. And, and uh, so as soon as we were kicked out, my, my buddy and I uh, went down to New York City and met with Joan. And uh, he opted out because it was an out-of-pocket expense. But I was totally like, you know, I have to fight these guys because I'm not going to end up, you know, doing three years as a private when I have only one year left of graduation. So uh, I went ahead with charging West Point for failure to allow due process of law, one of our cherished rights that unfortunately under our constitution that's no longer upheld in this country. Uh, it's one of these lost civil liberties that we've always been guaranteed and have had since the Declaration of Independence. And so uh, anyway, I did win my court case and uh, became the first that ever to be kicked out and then uh, win legally uh, against West Point and be brought back. And I managed to graduate my final year out. I graduated in 1973. And uh, and then I proceeded to, oh, and I was, they had a rule at the time. If your dad did 20 years in another branch of service, 
it's an automatic eligibility to graduate and be commissioned an officer in that branch of service. So all through my time at West Point, I was planning on ending up an ensign in the Navy upon graduation. Mm -hmm. Well, the Department of Navy in Washington called West Point about four days before my graduation and told uh, West Point, nope, we're not taking this guy. He's a troublemaker and you don't want him. You're stuck with him. So at that point, so close to graduation, uh, I... (laughs) I got what was left, uh, you know, I was going to either be in the infantry or the uh, field artillery, putting steel on the target, as they call it. And um, so I was stuck in the at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, as a lieutenant. And I continued, you know, basically, I, I uh, was very honest. I, I, I said to the general there, um, you know, I think it was just a mistake that I even ended up at West Point and in the Army and... Uh, I think you're better off without me. And, you know, they're not used to this kind of thing, especially a West Point graduate. And, and uh, so they started doing the same Mickey Mouse games as what they did at West Point. And except instead of giving me the started teams, where they uh, build a case, they would actually be very blunt about it. We're building a case against a dishonorable district. And the offenses were really ridiculous, showing up uh, for a class five minutes late or something. You know, I mean, Article 15. So they're taking away half my paycheck. I was living under the poverty level as a United States Army officer Mm -hmm. simply because um, I was honest with them in saying it was a mistake that I was in the military. And uh, so I had to get another lawyer. I mean, you know, they, they, they really do their best to break you. And uh, and destroy you. That's the game. Uh, if you're if you don't play their game, the game is they will try and destroy you. That's the way it is. So um, I had to get another lawyer, and I ultimately became a conscientious objector. I had already been doing so much soul searching. They would so uh, they they would always make that comment, putting steel on the target, because that's the whole goal of field artillery. You know, with the big guns and and uh, and I would I would be like that's a real hard one for me to to think about because that target could be human, you know, you could actually be killing humans. And obviously, this is the backdrop was the Vietnam War. And uh, I was very fortunate, by the way. The year I graduated from West Point was the year that the last American soldiers returned from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So I because I, they were training me as a forward observer. Those are the guys that go behind enemy lines. Call in the artillery, uh, and you know basically the casualty rate there in Vietnam for forward observers and field artillery was very very high. So I was very very fortunate not to ever do that. I know I know that that those all the veterans who have combat experience they're forever changed. Uh, I think it changes the brain. I, I think it, it, you know, obviously the PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is, is like rampant, especially if you are involved in a war that is ultimately unjust, where there's, you know, it, it's a senseless carnage. You see your buddies die in front of you and bleeding in, the, in your arms. Uh, so traumatizing and 
and, and my father, who was in combat, of course, in, in World War II on submarines, and uh, he had nightmares. He suffered from PTSD his entire life. He, I ended up taking care of him in the last three years of his life because he was in the final stage, and this is just from 2011 to, to uh November 2013, when he died at the age of 100 of dementia. And he had nightmares all through his life for over 70 years after his experience in World War II. He still had nightmares. That's what war does to you. It messes you up for life. And, um, and so, you know, I, I'm a committed activist to peace and to finding human resolution to the human conflict, and uh, so yeah, it was it was a traumatic experience of of uh, about five and a half years of uh, torture for me uh, at West Point, and then in the army, I did finally manage to get an honorable discharge. But I had to call Senator Kennedy. Uh, they were uh, not processing uh, within the legal confines of ninety days. <clears throat> Are you there? We're here. We okay. just had a, a little uh, glitch there, but keep going. Okay. So I had to contact uh, Senator Ted Kennedy uh, and notify him that they were illegally uh, stalling my uh, processing of my uh, Decker case. Uh, the very next day, I was called in and I signed my honorable discharge form. So I beat the system again because they were just gunning for a dishonorable discharge. So I, I did manage to, you know, extricate myself from this, from this U.S. Army, and uh, and then I came out to California and took my fame and fortune. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, for my own cathartic, I had to story uh, of West Point, and I wrote it that way back in, I guess, 1976. I think I was fresh out and. and uh, and I had a, you know, like the brass ring to reach out to my, my uh, West Point story way back then. And, and uh, uh, I think I, I had a, a friend who had an entertainment lawyer and had an editor friend in New York with William Morrow. And it stayed in William Morrow's uh, being considered for publishing for, I think, about four months, a long time. But they ultimately turned it down. I, you know, this is like 1970. Six, I think, and you know, the military was a dirty word at that point with the, the whole aftermath of Vietnam. You know, of course, the uh, Saigon fell in, in 1975. So, yeah, it was it was just a the bad timing there. And then I, I, uh, I about a year or so later, I think like it was actually towards probably the late 70s. Um, I ended up. Uh, through a, a friend who lived in the same apartment building with me in LA. Uh, his father uh, was the uh, living partner of Truman Capote. And so he was able to get my my um, manuscript over to Truman. <laughs> and Truman, uh, you know, he doesn't mince words. He, he was uh, very uh, uh, concise about his recommendations. You know, he, he said, uh, you know, like, like, you need to cut it by half. Uh, 
you know, and, and you need to remove the axe to grind because I, I was all fresh. The, the, I, I was like a wounded warrior when I wrote the thing, and, and I did justify my every move in the military. And so it was kind of overwrought with an anger against the system. It was very raw and fresh in my writing. And so he said, you know, do you have to get rid of that and, and cut it back out? You know, so uh, I, you know, it was, it was kind of like reliving the trauma when I wrote it. And it was like, you hear that, it was like, oh, God, back to the drawing. I'm not ready for this. Uh, so <laughs> I, I just let it sit, you know, and it sat for a little while, uh, several decades, actually. Um, and I ended up uh, going back to school, getting a degree in psychology, getting a, my license as a marriage family therapist, and uh, spent the next 27 years or so in Los Angeles area um, working in the mental health field, mostly with adolescents, um, abused adolescents that were in the system, uh, either uh, taken away uh, from their families of origin. Uh, I worked with a lot of kids. Um, and, uh, and that was a very gratifying experience, a very humbling and gratifying experience as a healer working with young people who had been dealt a really low blow in, in their early life. And, uh, and I, in, in many cases, like I worked for about six years, uh, with adolescent girls, uh, who, uh, a lot of them were sexually abused and really five male uh, family members. And so I became in, in many of those situations working with these girls, their first, uh, adult male, that they might be able to trust. You know, I had to work through a lot of, uh, you know, defiance and, and anger, especially directed towards male adults. Um, but because I was able to, really therapy is all about if the client has a sense that the therapist cares about them, there's a healing that goes on just in and of itself by the relationship. And, and, and that's really what it was. I ended up, you know, I felt very grateful for being like a catalyst to heal these people who were really, you know, severely abused. And, and to a great extent, they began blossoming uh, right in front of me. And it, it, it was a wonderful experience to uh, be a therapist out there uh, working with a young population. So I did that for many years. And then uh, in... in uh, 2011, my father, as I said, was in, in the suffering from the final stages of dementia. And rather than just put him in a, a nursing home to die, which our family can't do, um, I decided to like put my career on hold and, and take care of him. And so, and one positive that came of that is while I was able to be his caregiver in the last few years of his life, I also had the opportunity to, to begin writing. And at that point, I uh, kind of resurrected my West Point story, uh, kind of updated it to, uh, because, you know, what I found is everything that was going on in the early 70s was the blueprint to all this crap that we see now. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I, I kind of redid my West Point story to update it to uh, what's going on now. Uh, 
as well as, you know, keep the personal memoir part in there. And, uh, and so I did that and, and, and then I, uh, decided, you know, there's, there's so much going on in the world that's not good. And there's so many lies and propaganda by our government. Uh, so I, at that point decided I need to start writing about this. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to connect with, uh, Dr. Mikhail Chastadovsky, the director of global research. And he gave me a break in, in saying, okay, show me what you got. And so I started writing and I think my first article was on the Ukraine. And, uh, and I've been writing ever since, you know, I mean, I, I got like about a hundred articles written, uh, mostly with global research. Um, for a while I, I was with, uh, uh, veterans today. I, I found that there were a couple of articles that I'd written that, that Mikkel didn't want to touch. I, I, he runs a website. I, I consider it one of the more reputable, just like SOT.net. I think you guys are, you know, you in global research. I think and there's a few other, but there aren't very many that I think are really, you know, superlative in delivering the truth. And uh, and, it, and it's very important to me to, to feel like, you know, I'm, you know, working with the best. And, um, so I connected with veterans today because they did accept some, some of my articles that Mattel didn't. And, uh, and then there was kind of a coup that went down in April, uh, at veterans today. And I didn't like what was happening. Uh, I didn't like what was happening with the, uh, the editor there. Uh, mm-hmm. he was having to firing Jim Fetzer, who I admire and respect. And he fired, uh, you know, here's my view. I think that that Gordon Duff is a plant for, you know, maybe the the globalist. Uh, He changed his tune all of a sudden in April when when he started firing people. He he came out on this whole Jade Helm saying, oh, no, it's just a simple little military exercise. You guys, you know, you're, you're falling into the neocons propaganda by reacting the way you are, like making a big deal out of it, you know? In fact, he, uh, he, he actually started censoring the too. And then he, he wrote, you know, I, I had a trilogy that I, I did, you know, I think it's supposed to with uh, Global Research too, but I did a trilogy on, on three West Pointers, one of whom was my great, great, great uncle, who was a, a Gettysburg uh, hero, uh, Gouverneur Warren. And another one was was on uh, Ted Westerson, Colonel Ted Westerson, who died in Iraq in June of 2005. I believe he was murdered. There's a lot of evidence, circumstantial evidence, that show that he was a, a, a whistleblower. He was about to blow the whistle on the corruption going on in Iraq back mm-hmm. in 2005 under Petraeus. Petraeus, Petraeus. Boy, I have a whole chapter on that guy. But in, and I've written plenty of articles on him, too. Um, and, uh, and, and then another, uh, guy, and she's probably going to blight on his name, but, but anyway, uh, he was also likely murdered, uh, and he was becoming a whistleblower and so they snuffed him too, another West Pointer. But anyway, um, so I, I didn't like what was going on at, at Veterans Today. In fact, uh, Stu Webb and, and Chip Tatum were part of, uh, an integral part of Veterans Today. And, and they got bounced and started their own uh, Veterans Truth Network, which 
are respected a lot more now than, than veterans today. So I think technically, you know, I'm, I'm still listed as a, a, a featured columnist, but I do not submit my articles anymore to veterans today because I'm not a big fan of Gordon, to tell you the truth. So, uh, so it's basically you guys and, uh, and global research that I, I pretty much, uh, will submit my articles to. I think you guys are, are, are among the best and, and I'm going to stick with what I consider to be among the best amongst the, the alternative news, uh, websites. Well, I uh, appreciate, we appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks, Joaquin. Thanks, it's, yeah, well, it's you know, you guys, and, I, and I like the fact that, you know, you, you have that science orientation. That's kind of my weak spot. I was always at West Point, uh, those hard science classes, <laughs> thermodynamics and mechanics and engineering. I'm not geared that way, you know. I, I, I like to, you know, I'm, I'm considered myself more of an artist, you know, liberal arts and all that kind of stuff. And, and I wrote that article recently on Nibiru and, and you know, the, the evidence that there is something out there. Uh, it's very evident that there are more comets heading in our direction. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot that's probably going to go down in the next few months in 2015. And certainly 2016 is probably going to be another bang-up year as well. Um, it's pretty scary stuff going on in the world right now. So that kind of like kind of gives you an update on on my life, and my path, and and uh, my pursuit of the truth. And basically, I, I I just want the people to understand that their government, the U.S. federal government, is the enemy of the people, and and the enemy of the whole world, of people of the world. There, we got mad maniacs that are in charge here. I believe that they probably know that there's going to be a comet that's going to hit the planet, it's going to tilt the axis, it's going to change everything, and they've already made their plans underground. they got all their luxury cities underground. they got the highway. they got the supplies for the last several years underground life. And be damned with everybody else on the surface. I believe that's where uh, they're at, and I believe that that's why they're so reckless about pushing the nuclear bomb, about just plotting Russia and China now into World War III. They don't give a shit. Can I say shit? I don't know. But anyway, they don't. They don't care about life. And they have their contingency plan. They're going to survive it underground. Or who knows? Maybe they got, you know, with black ops, you know, and all the drug money they laundered. Maybe they even know, have the technology they've stolen from extraterrestrials and Maybe they have their contingency plan to have a space colony out there. Maybe they're already there. I don't know. Uh, but it seems like they are so recklessly bent on destroying life on this earth that there's a sense of urgency in my writing to try and, you know, like my last article, wake up the sheeple before it's all done. And, and we can't do anything to resist or oppose. So, yeah, I'm kind of like a, a you know, like the Paul Revere trying to, you know, wake up, you know, but, you know, the, it's not the British that are coming. It's, it's the globalist um, police state that's here. They're already here. And, and, you know, who knows? With this Jade Helm, there's a lot that's been uh, speculated about, you know, extraction taking place um, of dissidents. Uh, I know that that's, 
that's coming, whether it'll happen during the Jade Helm exercise, right after the Jade Helm exercise, or six months later, that I cannot say for sure. But I can almost say for sure that they will probably be doing roundups soon of the American people and killing them. I, I believe that it's quite likely that we're going to see some false flag terrorist acts that are going to be, and I believe that it could come from ISIS um, or it, it could actually, there's, there's several scenarios that are, that are, I think, likely. And it could probably happen in September or October. I'm, I'm kind of like, there's been a lot said out there on the Internet about September and October, and, and maybe it's kind of a bandwagon effect, too. Uh, and I don't want to be uh, just jumping on the bandwagon either, but, but it's just kind of leaning towards with the tempo of unfolding false flag events so far in 2015 mm-hmm. with the house of cards economy that we have, I think there's something big that is probably brewing and I'm anticipating it's the big bubble popping around September or October of this year. And, and it could be like a cyber attack and suddenly you can't draw money from your ATM and, and or go to the bank or pump gas. Or, you know, uh, there could be all kinds of scenarios. There. And, the, and Homeland Security has been preparing for this. Um, you know, the last words of, of uh, Janet Napolitano was, Oh, something big. Oh, something big going to happen. You know, and she was saying both from uh, cyber attacks as well as natural disaster attacks. Something big. We've got something big really in store for you guys. And uh, those were a parting words as the Homeland Security Director. And, and uh, you know, it's just the temple of all these crazy events. I, I think... Uh, yeah, it's going to be a bumpy ride for the next six months here in 2015. That uh, sounds like a – that's pretty much – Just a sync roundup. Yeah. Like you said, but regardless of whether it happens in during Jade Helm or not, these things are uh, – well, it, like you said, looking looking over the past couple of years and just the regularity that these false flag, false flag attacks have been happening all over the world – I mean, they're not going to change their game plan anytime soon, so it's just a matter of waiting until the next one. And um, you had a recent an article recently. Oh, your latest. The the globalists are racing to World War III before the American sheep will wake up. And you kind of gave a rundown of all the events and uh, the dynamics taking place in 2015 so far. So we had the Charlie Hebdo uh, in France. Then we had the Charleston shooting just recently in South Carolina. ISIS going crazy in Syria and Iraq and Africa. And then the Jade Helm, Russia and China, the TPP. So, And then we've just got, you know, we've just had recent developments in Greece. So it looks like there's a whole lot of stuff happening and it's leading, you know, there that will precipitate even more global events. And it's just been a, a wild ride this last year and this past 15 years, ever since 9-11. And, you know, we can go back further further than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you study a little, I think it's real important. You know, the old expression, you know, if you don't learn from history, you just seem to keep repeating the same error. And, and there's a lot of truth in that. Um, 
because the, the globalists have been around for uh, over a century. And I mean, if you want to go back to the Rothschild family and, and the whole bank, central banking in the world and all this, they've been running wars in, in, in you know, the, the debtor economic system for centuries. And, uh, of course, it took hold in 1913, mostly in this country. Um, they were gunning for the central bank, and then they installed the, the privatized uh, central bank of the Federal Reserve Board, and, and, uh, and then income tax, you know. And so, uh, the, yeah, the, for, for over 100 years, they, they've been uh, gunning for this uh, one-world government. They've been, you know, and... And they hold, they devised the whole Cold War thing, the communists, you know, and versus, you know, the, the West. And it's all just one grand manipulation by a handful of demonic people that have their control freaks, absolute control freaks, and they want control over every human being on the earth. And, and, and where you are, oh, well, and they want us dead too, 13 out of 14 of us. I mean, they want us you know, kill 6.5 billion of us, leaving, you know, anywhere from a half a billion, you know, to to uh, one maybe at the most. And, and uh, that's a lot of us that they have in their crosshairs ready to basically murder us. And I believe that's what's in store for humanity. There's going to be a grand human genocide. It's not going to be any particular group. It's the whole human population, except for the docile, you know, worker bees. They're going to, you know, have a half billion of little slaves that will cater to their every whim, and everybody else is dead. And, and leaving this handful of megalomaniacal psychopaths in control. And uh, that's the game plan. And, uh, and it looks like since, yeah, 911 was kind of a, a coup and a pivotal point where all of a sudden they went into the acceleration mode. They took away our constitutional rights and it, just in the last you know, dozen years. And uh, war, permanent war, permanent war, forever war on terror. Hey, and, Keith? of course, they go around making new enemies every day with their drone strikes and, and uh, crazy uh, special operations, the black ops. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're just creating more enemies, more people that hate America. And, uh, and and what's sad is, you know, we are we the people of America are not our government. You know, it's like a, a international crime cabal. You know, uh, it's, it's, I I believe that we already have a one world government, and it's all corporatized. It's been taken over by by globalists, and they have the their their pawns who are the people that are, you know, the Obamas and, and you know, all the leaders of the world in their government. They, they're the pawns. Hey, Joaquin, uh, I, I think William had a question for you okay. about this. Hey, I wanted to go back to your article about World War III. Um, sure. Yeah, there are a lot around, around the world, and it almost seems to be like we've already entered World War III. Um, what do you think about that? Well, certainly, um, certainly, with with all the preparation that is going on, with the training that, that exercises, I mean, it seems like just about every nation on Earth now has their military involved in in live training exercises. So, I, I think 
you know, the, the, the massive carnage uh, in, in some places, obviously, in, in Ukraine it's still raging, in Syria it's still raging. I mean, there are these hot spots, uh, you know, in probably a half a dozen places that where death is a daily occurrence. Uh, I think that, you know, in Gaza it's still, you know, pretty bad. Violence still going on there, I believe, even though technically, you know, it's, it's probably not like it was last summer, but but yeah, I, I believe that there's depth in a lot of places, and we don't even hear about it. They, they conceal so much information from us, and you know, it's up to us on the internet in alternative means to try and dig and find out the truth that they're constantly barraging us with propaganda and disinformation. So, you know, yeah, I think you can make a case probably that the world war. It's happening already because there's so many hot spots where death is occurring and, and the militaries are facing off against each other. Um, you know, I think that the, I think it's going to take some kind of major false flag event in America where unfortunately a bunch of Americans are going to die. And, and I think that's probably going to jumpstart the war here. I believe that it probably will actually. Um, I mean, we have rarely had war other than the Civil War on U.S. soil, but I'm afraid that uh, the, the upcoming war is going to actually be here in America, too. Um, and one could to, even make the case that uh, we're having an economic war as well. It's not just a military true. type of thing. It, it's like the perfect storm of everything that we, we've seen going wrong in process over the last few years. Everything is converging to, you know, there's going to be an explosion and an explosion at the same time, I think, when, when all of these things occur. And, uh, and it's going to be utter chaos. And, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty scary thought about what's going on. Well, it, seems time, like the... you know, it seems like so many people are, aren't really paying attention yet, you know. It seems that the very nature of war has has uh, changed very much, you know, over the past, you know, over the past centuries, but you know, particularly in the past decade or so. And you know, what we're seeing isn't, uh, you know, nations against nations so much anymore, uh, where there's you know, uh, armed military force against another armed military force, but right. it really become uh, war on people. You know, like you were saying a little earlier, that the yeah. That you know this threat, um, you know whether the, this training for Jade Helm, it's all to uh, train the military minds, the police minds, uh, you know, in every system uh, that you know the people are the threat. Yes. Yes, it's uh, very alarming to think that you know law-abiding, good American citizens are now considered the enemy. They're the enemy of the state truth seekers that expose the lies, we are the enemies of the state now. I mean, it's just, we are the homegrown terrorists. I mean, it's just insane. Uh, everything is reversed, you know. Uh, you know, the government is the bad guy, and the people that are, you know, want justice and equality and all the constitutional civil liberties and all, we're the good guys, yet to the government, we're the bad guys now, and we're we're going to be probably exterminated, and, and it's just total madness. You know, they they've made the world upside down now, and, and who knows? Would it 
with the comets and everything else. You know, literally, it could be upside down with the, the shifting of the poles. Um, yes, a comet. So yeah, uh, a comet can be uh, scary, case can right? be a case can be made for um, whenever the world sees these kind of, uh, of uh, drastic changes in the way things are are balanced and the elite get out of control that and the humans are being pounded that there could be some earth changes and cosmic reactions um, from that. And yeah. kind of touching on that, you know, with. Um, with this latest uh, article that you had on on Nibiru, you know, are these can these so uh, Sot, you know, kind of has the perspective that you know there could be uh, this uh, larger body, not necessarily Nibiru, but you know maybe this like twin sun. And as this approaches, you know, uh, could these cosmic bodies be influencing people as well? You know, there's there's a um, there's all these. Um, you know, in the past decade, you know, we've had like the Y2K and there's the 2012 uh, Armageddon and, you know, the world's, you know, we've had all these uh, prophecies, theories that, you know, the world is going to end in some way. And while there may be uh, disinformation aspects uh, in them, it does seem to um, reach uh, people in a certain way. You know, there may be uh, people may be are sensing that something is off, and you just have to really look out the window and see just how nuts and chaotic the world is. And you know, I think uh, you know it's understandable that people can latch on to some of these ideas. And um, you know, that, that's a lot of the work that you know we try to do at Sot is you know figuring out you know what is going on because something definitely is going on. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that you know there are. What we do know is that NASA is not interested in revealing the truth as, as an extension of the government and the whole. Never thing. a straight answer. No, no, and 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 so they're, they're hiding the truth from us, and and uh, and so yeah, I think that there's atmospheric changes. I, I think you know we're losing our magnetosphere, uh, solar flare activity. You know everything's awry. Uh, Something as big is happening out there uh, in a, in space, and it's it's having pretty um, you know major effects, obviously on on our planet, but even other planets. The other major things going on out there, we don't you know still have you know the confirmation of exactly what it is, but what we do observe are all these kind of erratic changes, you know the weather effects. Are all crazy and more extreme. Uh, you know, uh, there's just so many changes on so many levels. Uh, it, it is kind of uh, mind-boggling, actually. If you just try and like, you know, wrap your your head around all of this stuff just converging at the same time. It's a pretty amazing time we're living in. It, it's exciting, but it's also very scary. Now, um, when just to get back to your West Point story, it um, kind of reminded me of when. So when I was in high school, uh, I did a junior ROTC uh, for the four year, four years, and I never really thought that you know I I would want to go into the military. But you know, as uh, as I was getting ready to graduate, you know, I had to figure out what what I was going to do, and. So I, I lived. Uh, I grew up in the Hudson Valley, which uh, which 
just like 40 minutes away from West Point. Yeah, very close. Yeah, and um, so that that slowly became an option for me, uh, and and I actually applied there, uh, and I, I, w- I was really putting a lot of my eggs in that basket too. Uh, thankfully, there was a lot of competition uh, in that um, in that area, being in West Point area, and um, uh, so I, d- I didn't get the nomination. <laughs> But I, I did uh, still get an ROTC scholarship and um, at another school in, in, in Rhode Island. And, I, and uh, what was curious to me was uh, finding uh, that the same personality types uh, that I saw in high school in the junior ROTC program were also there uh, in this program. and. You know, it was just this really, at, at the time, I didn't have really the words to identify, uh, you know, what these people were. I, I'd call them now uh, authoritarian followers. Yeah. And and I, I, you know, just expected, well, you know, if I'm going to be surrounded by these people now, like now, as I was in high school, I can pretty much expect the same, you know, if I go in the military. And um, that was one of the driving forces that, you know, uh, Made me finally quit. I had to, I had to sign a contract at the end of my freshman year, and just weeks before that, I, I quit. But um, congratulations! <laughs> thank you. Because yeah, I would have, I would have, if I would have uh, went along with it, I would, I think I would have graduated um, in 2003, and that was the start of the Iraq War. So yeah, thankfully that that didn't happen. Um, but th- those personalities are interesting, and you write about that. Um, well, I've got a I've got a quote from one of your articles, Joaquin, the, that you wrote earlier this year. Why the United States always loses its wars. So I'm just going to read a pair. So, as a West Point graduate who went to school in the same regiment with Serge Man himself, former CIA director and general David Petraeus, NSA Big Brother architect Keith Alexander, and current Joint Chief of Staff General Martin Dempsey. I can attest to the inferior brand of leadership cranked out of the Academy Brass Factory over the last half century. West Point trains and teaches robotic followers in the form of sycophantic, self-serving bureaucrat politicians, not dynamic, caring humanitarian leaders. Entrepreneurial, innovative, creative instincts are drummed out of cadet and officer corps by a failed punch-your-ticket-to-seniority system that breeds a range of incompetence from run-of-the-mill mediocrity to highly toxic leadership. So I think you nailed it there. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think that kind of like sizes it all up. Mm-hmm. I've got a question that goes in a kind of a different direction. So you, you went through this system, uh, had a brutal time of it, so obviously you were sensitized to these kind of manifestations of, of you know, toxic personalities. Um, when you got out and you decided to go in a completely different direction into, you know, psychology, into to being a therapist or, or, you know, counseling these kids, um, that that sensitivity must have always been in the background. So when when did you just sort of go, oh, thank God I'm out of there and I'm going to do this now and I'm just not going to think about it anymore? Uh, once you you know once you got the book out of your you know, out of your system and then Truman kind of sat all over it. Um, when did you were you always kind of paying attention and looking at that template through the lens of that template, or did this something is this something that kind of resurfaced 
And when did the idea of psychopathy, because it's been a really kind of uphill battle, although it's, it seems to be winning over now, is to get people to be aware of that term and what it means. And you, you seem to have melded them two very well. So what was that process of, of you know, identifying the, this, these uh, behaviors that you had been, you know, obviously a, a victim of? Well, I mean, you know, the psychopathy is, is uh, rampant amongst uh, higher-ranking uh, officers. And, you know, of course, it's amongst all the, you know, the, the high-ranking, you know, regardless of whether it's the economy, you know, corporate world, the government, you know, it breeds these, uh, it, it gravitates to it. And, uh, and I believe that to be at the top echelons of power, I, I believe it's a club where, uh, and I love George Collins' take on that, but, but uh, it's a club where you play by their rules, and their rules are basically, you know, uh, you're cutthroat, and you, you know, will do anything to get ahead, and, and you know, kiss the ass of your superiors, that's all the name of the game, and, and just, you know, uh, take your opponents out. And your opponent could be your your mother that you've thrown under the bus, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and lying pathologically, it's a sick, sick world. Mm -hmm. And uh, and this is the world of the people at the top. These are the elitists, and and uh, it's pretty incredible. I when I left the military, I, I you know I really was traumatized. Uh, it, was a, it was just a real pressure, time stress, pressure uh, experience for. You know, nonstop for about you know five and a half years. And you were and very I, young. Uh, you were very young at the time too. You know, so yeah, yeah, that was tough. I, it was my very beginning of adulthood, and and, uh, and so you know, I kind of had to go through you know some growing pains of just trying to uh, you know I extricated myself out of the military, but psychologically, I, I had to uh, kind of like uh, do a lot of soul searching and figure out okay. Now here I am. I'm in my mid twenties still, and I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And and that's really when I just get into astrology. Um, and I've been an astrologer for you know, you know, years and years now. And uh, and and that helped me basically as a tool to self understand, to get a sense of direction on where I should be going. Um, and I and I realized that uh, you know I I was always somebody that could have empathy and, and people would come to me with their problems. I was just a, a natural good listener and, and could give positive feedback to people. So it was kind of a natural uh, extension of, of my own development to actually get into psychology and, and ultimately, you know, have a career in mental health and ultimately be a healer. Um, it was just natural for me. And, and that was, a, you know, that's been my true calling, I believe, you know, beyond the dead end of, of the military. Thankfully, you know, it was over and, and I was able to kind of like develop myself. And, and uh, it was a great career. I'm no longer a licensed therapist. Uh, I have all the skills, but I decided, you know, I, I, I wasn't, when I uh, began as a caregiver to my dad, I moved back to Vermont. I lived in Vermont there. And, uh, and now I'm in Arizona, and, and you know the, the stupid uh, the stupid laws pertaining to uh, the licensure as a, as a therapist are are all each uh, 
state has their own requirements. And for me to become a licensed therapist here in Arizona, I would have to like basically be fresh right out of college all over again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and I've been a, a, like a, a supervisor and a manager. I've run, you know, large mental health agencies in Pasadena, my last job there. And, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to start over, you know, right. especially at my age, you know? And so I said, okay, you know, and, and I gravitated, you know, also as a caregiver while I was a caregiver, I, I began writing. So, you know, between, you know, so writing became, you know, that's my passion now. And, uh, and, uh, you know, so yeah, it's all part of, part of the personal personal uh, journey of, of developing yourself and your talents and, and your potential. And uh, and I'm glad. I think I found my niche as a writer and and uh, and an activist. And uh, and I'm very happy with that. I still have a part time practice in astrology, but but it's, it's secondary. It's uh, the most important thing now is is what we're facing in the world, you know, all these challenges. So that's the occupying And I'm wondering that. Is that sound uh, on your end, Joaquin? Or? Uh, no, I'm hearing it too, but uh, I don't know where it's coming from. We'll, we'll, we'll just talk above it. <laughs> that is weird. Um, on, on the subject of your writing, a few weeks ago we uh, published Toward a Global Force for Evil, One World Government Protected by a One World Military. Well, just hold on a sec. We, let me see if I can do anything about this because this is really... That's annoying. The heavy-duty braided cable allows for extra flexibility. Try MX Brown and Blue at the most common... Okay, I have no idea what's going on here. Maybe it's the government trying to interfere. Yeah, this this is weird. It's never this has never happened before. It sounds like we've got something else. It's like another feed running in yeah. parallel with ours. Yeah. Well. Okay, it sounds like it stopped. Okay, go ahead, Elon. Let's try that again. <laughs> so I was just mentioning that we you know we carried that article toward a global force for evil, one world government protected by a one world military. Yeah. And uh, one of the comments from one of the readers on on SOT was, man, this hits hard. This is the most disquieting piece I've read in a long, long time. And when I read that comment, I thought, good, this is disquieting stuff. And and to hear you uh, describe it and your your passion and also something of a mission, Joaquin, it it seems like your intent, uh, which I think is correct, is to set off the alarm bells. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and it comes through in your writing, and it comes through certainly in, in our conversation today. I mean, this is, uh, this is all real imminent stuff. And um, I'm just wondering if you have any, any thoughts on that and, and what, uh, what is it that compels you uh, to want to shake people on this kind of larger scale? You want to... You want to work with the best, you know, people who are doing this on the web. You want to wake people up, and I mean, there's this incredible amount of uh, motivation on your part to to make a difference. Um, so, where do you think that came from? Well, uh, you know, I mentioned at the start of the program uh, how I was a young idealist. Well, now I'm an old idealist. <laughs> 
And and I uh, I just I think we're born here on this earth to make a difference. I, I think that uh, to to live the status quo life of comfort and and you know insulating yourself from you know the the pain out there in the world. Uh, I think you know it's, it's the old expression that pain is going to knocking on your door. So it's time to basically embrace as as one human family and get rid of those evil people that are destroying everything and, you know, fight it. We, we have to fight the evil that's controlling so much of our planet and destroying so much of our planet. I don't really see that there's a lot of choice. Uh, it's either that or it'll be among the walking dead, among the, the moronic, robot, robotic-type people that just, you know, are, are blind to reality. And I, I just can't live that way. I never have been. And, you know, I've always felt like if, if you don't have your integrity, you don't have self-respect, you don't have a life. That's the way I look at it. And so when I see things that are wrong, when I see deception and injustice, you know, I can't just, like, look the other way or pretend it's not happening. I cannot do that. I can't live with myself if I just pretend it's not happening. So, yeah, I'm an activist, and, and I'm trying to wake people up. And I, and I would love to be able to, you know, be a catalyst, perhaps a leader uh, for a grand grassroots worldwide citizens of the world movement for peace, for justice, for, for all the things that we, you know, most of the people on this planet believe in, but they don't have the power. So, you know, it's time for us to assert ourselves and our will, our goodwill, toward other people on this planet and, and finally get rid of those evil ones that for centuries have been calling all the shots. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like time for them to go. They're a subhuman species of humans. Uh, you know, and, and I just think, you know, their time is, is, it's a broken system and their time is, is done now, I think. And, and yes, there's going to be a lot of growing pains as we go into this heavy time where there's ultimately going to be a transformation on this earth that's going to take place. And I am an idealist today, believing that, no, I might not make it myself. You know, I might not live to where the whole earth condition is, and human condition is turned around. I might not make it, I'm, but I'm committed to doing whatever I can in my power to be a catalyst for positive change as we go through this rather difficult transformation period. I'm just going to do my best to, you know, make it to the other side where, you know, we ha- live in a better world, a just world. Um, but I uh, am going to, you know, keep yelling from the mountaintop, mm-hmm. and, you know, just trying to do what I do, uh, get people on board to, to, you know, collectively make the changes that are necessary to uh, defeat the evil that's still in control and, and taking the world down. So, well, that's, yeah. that's great to hear. We I think we have the same, the same kind of 
it, it seems to me that that that's really the only thing we can do, and it, we just need we need more people doing the same thing because the way things are on this planet, the the systems of control and in economy, uh, government, uh, religion, they're just so entrenched and they've been around for so long that these guys and women in power, they're just well. First of all, they have they have so much control because this, because of the just the inertia of the system and it seems like it's almost impossible to break like we've had we've seen these kind of conflicts between the what's going on in the east so with Russia and China trying to and, and BRICS trying to offer this kind of alternative view of how, of how to do uh, international relations and just running their own countries and just to look at the the amount of obstinacy and just the blockages that they run up against um, in encountering the, the U.S., the American empire, it seems like it's just such an uphill battle. Now, this is where I think that that um, maybe this coming, uh, you know, the, the whatever comets may be coming this way, it may have a kind of positive function in, in kind of seems like possible task to bring down, you know, or, you know, would we even want to just bring down the system? Maybe it'll, maybe that'll happen naturally. And the, the loci of civilization will just be eradicated. And we have some more interference coming through here. I'm curious to see how you might envision this happening, this change, this shift, these people, people banding together and removing this, well, hold on, hold on one second. I'm going to, going to just try something here. So we're going to have silence for just a couple seconds. Okay, how's that? Okay. Good. All right, go ahead, Lucky. Okay. Well, I think what we do need to do is we we need to move. Everything has been moving for centuries now towards centralization, you know, the big uh, brother control through technology, you know, and, and everything is centralized. And obviously that's the goal, one world government. Everything is centralized. So we have to go the opposite direction. We have to decentralize. We have to localize. That's where it's at. I believe that, that um, I, I really believe in, in uh, you know, community-mindedness. And, and becoming more resourceful at the community level, coming together and, you know, growing your own food. I mean, that's going to be the, the key to survival, obviously, is having a, a fresh supply of nutritious food. And, you know, there are communities and in, in, in cooperatives uh, around the nation and probably around the world where uh, they are, you know, taking their life in their own hands and working with the soil and, as a community and, and, and coming up with, with a, an alternative to, uh, you know, the corporation in the grocery store, the big chains, and where everything is centralized. And so, yeah, I think there's, that's just an example of, of the direction that we need to take. We need to localize and become as resourceful as possible at the community level. And, and it goes with food, but it also, you know, uh, the state of North, uh, North Dakota has their own bank. Uh, I think that's what we need to do, too. We need to decentralize and localize at, at every level, bartering everything. You know, it's like, you know, have our own currency. 
these are really important things, and and uh, and, I, and I think that you know as more acceptance in in these entrepreneurial directions of you know how to become more resourceful at a community and local level, as as this becomes widespread information that will be exchanged with with communities around the world, you know, I think there really is going to be a grassroots movement uh, in the right direction. And, uh, and, and I think that, you know, just as the um, conventional, you know, what, six oligarchs controlled not over 90% on mainstream media, but nobody's paying attention to it anymore. Everybody realizes they're just, you know, an extension as a propaganda department for the government. So, you know, more and more people, and, and I believe also we can do economic boycotting that can be effective. There's a lot of things we can do, and we have to, obviously, but I have a major concern with the CPP. They're going to try and take away the Internet because they realize that's the independent news source that people are tuning into for their truth. And, uh, and truth is the enemy to the state. And so with the TPP, there's a whole chapter basically on, on basically destroying net neutrality and accessibility of the Internet as a uh, information tool and a communication tool. I believe that they're going to try and take that down. And obviously, there's already provisions with executive orders where dictator Obama will uh, pretty much uh, take down the Internet and uh, during martial law. And, and uh, so, yeah, and that's the kind of the urgency in the race part, you know. They're trying to get all this, you know, destruction in, force people wake up and, and start, you know, networking and, and you know, having – a coalescing power that's, uh, you know, really coming together on a worldwide scale. They're, they're definitely afraid of that. And uh, so there is a race, you know. Uh, I mean, it's, and, and it's the bottom line is, are you for life? Meaning, like, you know, you extend your hand for another human being to embrace life and, and affirm life? Or are you for death, for destruction, for evil? You know, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, I, I'm not a black and white person, and I think black and white thinking is, is a, a gross distortion of reality because generally life is made with shades of gray rather than black and white. But really, fundamentally, it is. It's a black and white issue of are you for life or are you for death? And if you're part of the, the current broken system that's still, you're for death. That's what it's about. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that. They want a lot of us dead. And uh, so it's up to us to fight back for life, you know. And, uh, and I think, you know, the, the unifying process in and of itself is empowering. And uh, so we got, a, we, got a, uh, we got a big challenge ahead mm -hmm. that, we, that we need to work together on. And, uh, but I believe, we, you know, we also have an advantage in numbers, if we can get the world citizens out there, you know, there's 7.2 billion of us, if we could get just even half of that or mm -hmm. even less than that on board as committed activists, oh, we can really make some changes in a much faster way and certainly far less destructive way 
uh, than, than the direction that the system is headed in. And I think that uh, – well, have you read the book Political Ponderology? Uh, no, I haven't. I am familiar with that. So, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, in the book, the author, Dr. Andrew Lobachevsky, he, I think you know, he's going in the same direction. And the point that he makes is that that would probably be possible. And by that, I mean you know, unifying people from all these wide ranges of cultures and countries because what they what they unify around is the idea that it's the the conflict isn't between let's say Russians and Americans but that what it really comes down to is that within within every country the enemy the so-called enemy is the same and it is psychopaths and when people unite around that idea that that we have more in common around the world these billions of people we have more in common with each other than we do with the people that that uh, rule over us that, yeah. that can unify nations, you know, across boundaries and across borders. And but without that knowledge, it's just so easy to to create these, this divide and conquer strategy um, between entire peoples. And so we see that we see that playing out like all the time, where there are these false divisions created and these false conflicts when what's really going on. It's just like you said, it's like there's a world government here already. And yeah. it, and it is because these people are all the same. They're they're all part of the same club. They all have the same death culture and death outlook on life. Uh, well, they don't. You know, they have no death for everyone but them. Yeah. Yeah. And so we really need to to get that idea, you know, across to people is that is that these guys are the problem and and. It's not, you know, it's not about different countries. It's not about what flag you wave and, you know, what color your skin is or anything like that. It goes, in a sense, deeper than that. It's this fundamental difference between these, this between humanity and this subspecies of humanity, these psychopaths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's a, a, another approach that can be made to, to help us unify, definitely. Uh, because, yeah, uh, I think it's pretty evident that, you know. To be a member of those highest echelons, you know, you have to be in that psychopath club, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're not, uh, you're going to get kicked out. So, and, and that's part of the screening process that they do is, as you rise up in the system, you know, you either become one of them, you know, I think it's kind of almost innate too. Uh, you know, I, I think to some extent, you know, the old nature nurture argument, uh, I think the environment can play a part in shaping a potential for psychopathy. Uh, but I think it's almost innate uh, where people have are born with these tendencies. Mm-hmm. And, and then, yeah, the environment can, can actually, you know, I mean, certainly the system is set up. If you, if you want to rise up and end up a politician or a general or something, the system is all set up where, you know, if you have the innate tendencies and, and potentiality of becoming a psychopath, uh, you're certainly going to uh, to develop it uh, as you uh, you know make your conquest in a, the ambitious conquest in your career uh, in, in you know going up the ladder of power. Well, I think, um, yeah, I think I think you should check out the book Ponderology because he he gets into this too, and I think it's that there there there's more variety. I definitely think that there are uh, there is a certain type of psychopath that uh, that is totally innate. It's just uh, the, the only thing the only thing that nature 
uh, or the only way that nature might, or sorry, the only way nurture or the environment might um, affect these psychopaths is just simply what environment they're born in. So if they're born into some um, like poor environment, they might become just a common criminal. But if they're born into a rich, uh, high-class environment, they'll become you know a board director or a politician or a military general or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then, th- and then there are those who are just more susceptible than others to this kind of influence. So their their character, their personality becomes deformed enough to, to, to the point where they become almost you know indistinguishable. They're they're kind of part of the club. They're not quite the the full deal. But then there are the there are probably a majority of people where that would never happen. They could they could never deform to that extent and and become part of that system. And so yeah, I think there's a few different categories and a few different types of phenomena going on there. And then, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely check out that book. Yeah, I I knew of it, but I, I just haven't had much time. But I I think I will. In, when I'm in Bali, I think yeah. I will. <laughs> Well, you know, all this reminds me of like Madeleine Albright being interviewed on 60 Minutes about uh, all, all the sanctions um, in the from the U.S. side towards Iraq in the 90s under the Clinton administration. And uh, Leslie Stoller, the interviewer, asking her, you know, was it worth the lives of, of 500,000 oh. uh, children? And yeah. uh, and without batting an eye, you know, she says something like, yes, we believe, yes. Uh, it it was, and you know you see this uh, this very uh, quote unquote stately uh, lady in this high position of power, uh, who speaks well and is dressed nicely, and um, and basically what they're you know another part of this whole process is that people are are hearing this with with no critical understanding of precisely how uh, evil yeah. uh, these statements are. What she's actually doing is revealing just how inhuman she is. And and some some people watching just won't won't make the connection. Yeah, it's cloaked no. in statesmanship. Well, this way I want to I want to play a clip of um, of Obama from a few days ago. It's really short, but just to get it's not quite as as good as the the Albright one or the Hillary Clinton one where she's laughing about the murder of Gaddafi. But this is just a nice little slip of the tongue from Obama, and it kind of gives me hope that even if you know, no matter what kind of censorship comes out, there's always going to be a little bit of truth telling that comes out uh, unintentionally. So here's a, here's just this clip. Was moving too slowly, but the fall of Ramadi has galvanized the Iraqi government. So with the additional steps I ordered last month, we're speeding up training of ISIL forces, including volunteers from Sunni tribes in Anbar province. <laughs> So yeah. Yeah, the truth comes out. <laughs> and the, um, the, the the U.S. government website with the transcript of that talk, they 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 didn't quite adequately fix it. So in, instead of just bracketing out ISIL and replacing uh, replacing it with something else, they 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 said so. We're now training ISIL bracket Iraqi forces. So even their even their fix made it look like they're like the U.S. is training Iraqi ISIL forces. Yeah, but it's just ridiculous. Yeah, there there is so much overwhelming evidence of you know them being our you know our I I always say our when it's actually the U.S. government that's very different from me. But anyway, being the U.S. government paid mercenaries, boots on the ground. Where you know the, the proxy wars around the world. I mean, you know, I mean, they're almost like 
our our, our special operations mm-hmm. wherever we just you know and, and the thing is, is is that it's expanding all over the world i mean you know that we've got the Boko Haram in Nigeria. We got the the uh, Al Shabaz in, in the, what is it Kenya, um, Somalia. And, you know, it's it is spreading, and, and uh, it's a network that's created by these uh, the Klan Cabal international governments. Um, and I made that point also in, in the uh, when I was talking about Charlie Hebdo, I believe, in my last article. I was in the first couple of paragraphs, I was talking about you know how how uh, amazingly deceptive you know they're all you know marching hand in hand, the million plus people there, and, and all the leaders of the world arm in arm. You know, oh yes, they, they want our freedom. You know, and, and those are the evil ones that are actually created this all the terrorism around the world. They did have though, you know, and and they're got that like you know oh we're so righteous and we're together you know and oh it's just nauseating the deception the level of of toxic deception and just poison that they put out um it's it's just like pus coming from their lips you know Mm -hmm. it's it's just yeah it 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 can get if if you're like aware of anything you can get really upset (laughs) by all the 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 insanity and, and the just the evil that that they think to, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So and the other thing yeah, is, I, I think uh, I was just going to say, that, go ahead, Joaquin. Yeah, I'm go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. Well, you know, if you if you try to explain this to anybody who who doesn't have the the most basic uh, understanding of what a psychopath is, for instance, uh, it's so diabolical, and it's existing at such a grand scale. Mm-hmm. That you you almost have to shout you know above everybody's breath to to get attention, to call attention to all of this. I mean it's like, uh, before it's completely mind boggling, and uh, well another- you know they've been they've been trying they have been dumbing us down dumbing down Americans for so long, you know uh, all the chemicals and the foods and the pills people take the big pharma toxic stuff that's wrecking their brains. The poor education, public education system now with the common core crap. Uh, it's just propaganda. And, and it's like they don't teach people to have discriminative minds, to have a critical mind, to assess the truth. They don't, you know, it's like, you know, every, they just, like I say, they they brainwash people into becoming robots. I mean, they do it literally at what point, but they do it on a grand scale in our public education system to our young, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, they have their little gadgets and their push-button toys and their video games and all that. Like, they're oblivious to all the destruction and evil that are going, that's going on in this world. And, and, and unless, you know, a bomb goes off, uh, you know, on their street or in their house or something, you know they're, they're totally asleep. They're they're in, in La La Land with their little fantasy world of of their toys, and and uh, you know everything's a diversion. Everything is with propaganda. You know the sleight of hand, and, and we're gonna do all this in secret, and you're not gonna ever know about it. But over here, pay attention to this little stupid stuff. 
Kim Kardashian, and another wardrobe malfunction. Oh, we got two in on that one. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's really nauseating to see how dumbed down and, and ignorant people are. Uh, it's just, you know, and that's, that's another big challenge that we face is, you know, not only trying to uncover the truth about the evil ones in control, but trying to just wake up people mm-hmm. to the reality of what's going on. Uh, you know, I, I, I really, I, I try and be an optimist, and I do believe that, you know, they tune the, the mainstream media, the NBC, CNN, and all that kind of, a lot of people that are not watching that stuff anymore. And they don't, you know, their, their information about the world does not come from a lot of mainstream media. So that's a coup in and of itself. They're seeking basically the, the, you know, the information about the world through the internet and through sites like, like yours. And, and, and that's, that's a very positive and, and kind of like a, a encouraging sign that there are more and more people every day, I believe, yeah. that, are, that are becoming fed up and becoming a network, which I think is like the movie of, of the ages. For you know how evil everything is now. I mean that that Patty Chayefsky or something else as a writer, I'll tell you. Um, but that's that's such a gem of a movie. But you know, there's more and more people waking up and, and they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it. There's more and more people that, that are you know joining this kind of like uh, and, and talking about it. You know, I mean, so I have to be somewhat optimistic. People are not so. I mean, the masses are not so dumbed down that we don't have a chance to wake people up. I do believe that there are more and more people that are coming on to the truth about what the evil people are doing. So, you know, it, it get, because if I, if I believe that we had no chance, I would be very depressed. <laughs> it would be hard to get up and out of bed every day, you know, if you think that it's already, they already won, we can't do anything, you know, this, this you know, impotence, this powerlessness. And that's the roots of depression, too, by the way. So, you know, you can't go there. You, we have to think in terms of, you know, what the good things that we are able to accomplish and embrace that and, and have it, you know, become more inspired and motivated to, to keep working at educating and informing people and, and activating people. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I mean, that's what it's all about at this point. Well, uh, at one point in one of your recent articles, Joaquim, you um, <laughs> it was like another one of these interesting factoids that, I mean, if you're really paying attention, and this came from Fox News of all places, uh, it, it was about the Navy F-18 pilot flying over Iraq or Syria, uh, right. stating how difficult it was for him to get uh, clearance to yeah. kill ISIS soldiers that he had in his sights. And, uh, and he says there were groups of ISIS fighters in my sights but couldn't get clearance to engage. They were probably, they probably killed innocent people and spread evil because of my inability to kill them. And um, it's like, uh, you know, what do you do with a fact like that? It, it just doesn't make any sense. The, the bureaucracy cannot be that bad. Uh, it has to point to the fact that like you were saying earlier, ISIS and, and others of these forces are basically our guys. And we don't, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a theater. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, or is it going to be before people realize uh, this fact, I wonder? Well, uh, I think it's going to probably be realized when uh, ISIS probably uh, moves eight miles uh, uh, and crosses the United States border into America and, and then does some kind of a uh, false flag uh, terror crisis uh, event where it kills Americans. I, I think, and, and we've already seen, you know, these, these, uh, these lone wolves who, you know, claim that they're ISIS, you know, the incident, I guess, was that in Dallas or something a couple of months ago? Or the, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think everything is staged, basically, uh, mm-hmm. as far as um, the shooting that where the two guys were killed, they're actually from Arizona, that were supposed ISIS members. Uh, and uh, we're going to, they, they have a, a training camp with the drug cartel in Mexico, eight miles from the border, right near El Paso, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, and, and then there's, there are recruiters of ISIS. I mean, 25,000 Westerners have joined ISIS just in the last, uh, since June, a year ago. Um, you know, <laughs> there's recruiters for ISIS. Um, you know, I mean, it, it is pretty amazing that uh, with all the advanced technology and, and our weapons technology, if we, if we, the government, really wanted to eliminate them, it could be done in a month or oh, less. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, there's no political will to do that because they serve a very important function. The globalists, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned uh, that there's recruiters on uh, college campuses, and you know, the first thing that goes through your mind is, well, you know, how can that happen? How can uh, you know Westerners who are constantly bombarded with these terror threats and and and, and this you know nonsense, um, you know, engage in these things? And uh, kind of reminded me of uh, yeah, there's that. Uh, uh, Mark Dice, who I mean, he goes to these different areas and and does these uh, surveys or questionnaires, and one of them uh, he was on a college campus and he was he, his petition was to support ISIS, and he was getting plenty of signatures, you know. So it's I think it goes to the fact that uh, just so many Americans are just tuned off uh, to everything that's you know actually happening in the world. You know, you might have a percentage of people who, you know, uh, do read the news, um, and then you have that percentage of people who, you know, do uh, who are looking towards uh, alternative media. And this kind of brings up another topic uh, um, of uh, disinfo within alternative media. Um, you know, it's something that you've, you've written a little bit about, and. One of your articles, the Pentagon's Operation Jade Helm 15, uh, the floodgate towards martial law in World War III, uh, you write, a major strategy of the federal government commonly uses to discredit alternative media is planning disinformation within its ranks. Government moles have infiltrated the so-called independent online media, intentionally muddying the waters so murky as to obscure the facts. And this is something, you know, that we see uh, constantly. Um, you know, uh, SOP has, has really, um, you know, it, I think we've been uh, been online for, 
you know, over 10 years, and it's, it's just been having to build it up brick by brick. Um, and I think that, you know, the alternative media really is uh, infiltrated um, quite a lot with, uh, you know, disinformation and, you know, um, outright agents and uh, useful idiots and, and so on. And I was wondering if, um, if, if since you started writing, if you've had uh, experiences with with that, um, that you could go into. Yeah. Right. Wait. Yeah. Can you hear us, Wilkie? Yeah. So did you hear? Did you hear the question? I didn't hear the question. No. Oh, I was I was just wondering if uh, if you had any experiences uh, with uh, disinformation in the alternative media? Uh, I, I think I have not had direct experience, uh, although I mentioned earlier with Veterans Today, where uh, Gordon Duff, the head editor, you know, I, I think he could be possibly a disinformation tool himself. Um, you know, so, yeah, I guess that's my most direct experience. By him, you know, saying, oh, there's nothing to worry about with Jade Helm, you know, if, you ha- if you're reacting like, you know, it, this is, you know, some kind of a, a assault on, on our states and, you know, and, and martial law and all this, oh, you, you're just, uh, you know, spreading this propaganda for the neocons. You know, I mean, that's how he came off. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, he might be a disinformation tool himself. And, uh, and, and there's plenty of them out there. I think it, there's all kinds of uh, sites where I really do think that they're, they're purposely, you know, deceiving the people, trying to lead them astray. And, and, and the game is, yes, to to make it. I mean, first of all, people are not critically minded, and and to really seek out the truth, unfortunately, it just isn't given to you on a platter. You have to almost like work at it with mm-hmm. doing homework. You know, you do your cross-checking with you know things that are in hyperlink or on footnotes. You have to really you know do some work. It, you know, it, it shouldn't be this way, but I mean, this is the way it is. And and so it requires you to kind of go out of your way with extra time and effort to to seek out uh, as much as you can possibly. They want they want the people to basically first and so they want to negate its power by you know muddying the waters as I said. And, and causing people to go, well, uh, what? But they won't, you know? Mm-hmm. And that gives them completely disempowered and, and easily manipulated and controlled. So, you know, that that's their game. And, and so it's up to us to do our best to actually, you know, be telling the truth and, and our what we do put out is as much as an accurate account of the truth. Very important. Mm-hmm. And really, 
noticed a lot, we, we've had our suspicions about certain websites and individuals, and we've posted a lot of articles and investigations on on the kind of conclusions that we've come to. I mean, well, to name names, we haven't been very big fans of either Alex Jones or Jeff Rents or even Gordon Duff. I mean, we've we've had other problems with some of the stuff he's written. It seems to me, at least, that a lot of what he writes, uh, like, I'll, if I could put it in a word, it would be sensational in the sense that he'll he'll make these big claims without any back without backing them up in any, any sort in any sort of um, you know checkable way. Just the just the bald statements about um, you know his his intelligence sources and what this this is going on and that's going on and it ne- none of it ever seems to pan out. And so I mean I, so I've had that problem with him for you know for as long as I've been reading. But it goes back and, and well we can trace one aspect of this whole phenomenon just back to 9/11. So even just before 9/11 and afterwards, it would be natural if the if the government or whoever these intelligence working a kind of big event that they've got to kind of prepare the ground and they're they're going to know that there are some people that are going to be looking into it and so they've got to kind of the problem before it even starts and then manage it once it does start. And so it's just a logical conclusion that this is going to be the state of affairs whenever we're getting into something like this where you're looking into um, just gross misdeeds and crimes from from intelligence agencies or governments. But it even goes back further than that, and you can find the aspects of, of course, the COINTELPRO operations for, for with the anti-war movement. And even if you could look into the the field of UFO researchers from the very the 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 whole like the the grassroots organizations that started up to look into UFO reports and at the very beginning they were they were infiltrated by CIA and even openly CIA people so you had some just open openly um, you know ex or current intelligence agencies and then you had the kind of secret guy working undercover and it's been like that ever since so we've We've had this kind of disinformation in all kinds of fields related to government secrecy or just covering something up that they don't want for generations now. And so uh, so it kind of boggles my mind that some people won't even go there, even within the alternative field that they that they can't accept. Or, you know, when you say someone might be an agent and it's like, oh, well, you know, you can't say that. You know, that's mean, basically. Well, you know, just grow up and look at reality. This is something that we've got to deal with and something that we've got to be aware of and open to and research and look into because otherwise what happens? Well, they, these this, these kind of COINTELPRO operations are designed to lead people into false directions in order to keep them um, just busy. busy and not a problem. Yeah. And the thing is too neutralized. Is that, that when you speak of agents here, it's I, I think it's really important to make the the qualifier that you don't have to be a conscious agent you don't have to be somebody who's checking in with your with your handler once a month and he gives you your directions and and you know off you go to do your thing um but that does happen it does happen absolutely but but the the concept of agent at least in this application can be a lot broader um people just you know they do get cultivated by somebody who seems to be on their side and and so the mis- mis- disinformation gets more and more broadcast, um, you know, and more and more people pick it up, and pretty soon it's propagated through the target audience. Um, but you know, it's 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 kind of like what what they talked about with the Gestapo. Um, everybody thought the Gestapo was everywhere, and now that that uh, 
documents have been declassified, you find out that, that in any given little village that they've been running, there might only be two or three actual Gestapo agents and, and the villagers themselves were doing the work, you know? So it, I think it runs kind of like that. Yeah, well, it's like, um, it's kind of the way that the FBI recruits ISIS members or Al-Qaeda members, mm-hmm. that these guys have no idea what they're really getting into. And uh, and so you've got a, a real agent or a CI or or um, you know some kind of undercover dude that basically radicalizes and indoctrinates and recruits these often you know mentally ill or just not very bright guys to get into this plot that they're basically hounded into they're coerced into doing these it's total entrapment and so then they you know they end up getting a lot of money and maybe some weapons provided by the FBI conveniently. And the the whole operation is conceived of, planned, paid for uh, entirely by the FBI. That's why I think the FBI should be charged with terrorism and uh, they should all be locked up. But yeah, Well, CIA <laughs> and FBI are, are definitely uh, bodies of terrorists. Yeah. They are. They're terrorists themselves. And, and then... And what you would do, I can think of the Sarnoff brothers from the... Mm-hmm. Look at the recruited, uh, and this is the entrapment that, that goes on all the time, where they're uh, going after these young people to become informants to actually, you know, get involved in terrorism. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. like you know, the, you know, it's, it's, it's government-sponsored terrorism. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. You you cover the case of Michael Hastings a little bit in your book. Um, and this is just an excerpt from it. Uh, in, the, in the several months since 33-year-old investigative journalist Michael Hastings was most likely murdered on June 18th, it has become increasingly clearer that he was not a victim of just another freak car accident. Weeks earlier, the Obama regime had declared war, open war on free journalism with aggressive surveillance and punitive retribution on AP reporters even selected corporate media news reporters and clearly those willing to reveal potentially damaging or threatening information about our government's tyranny. Michael Hastings had a very high-profile history since the June 2010 Rolling Stone article featuring Afghan war commander General McChrystal and his staff's harsh critique subsequently resulting in McChrystal's forced resignation. Michael Hastings also wrote an unflattering article about General David Petraeus in the February 2011 Rolling Stone article indicating King David's losing proposition for turning the war in Afghanistan around around with his surge. The very day he died, Hastings contacted friends and associates to report that he was under an FBI investigation, that he feared his car had been tampered with and was about to of a news story involving covert operations deployed by U.S. intelligence agencies, specifically targeting current CIA director John Brennan. So, you know, if if they're not getting us one way, they're getting us another. Uh, yeah. This was obviously guy, a guy who had reached an audience uh, and and was saying things that was uh, getting on on these guys' nerves. And what do they do? They send out their special hounds, and they basically kill him. And um, fortunately, I don't think we've we've seen much else of that sort of thing. But it's a uh, well. There's Gary Webb, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. and Jose Mercury. You know, he he you know basically outed the Bush 
family on, on the Iran uh, Contra and the uh, bringing all the cocaine into the country, into the, the uh, inner city ghettos, you know, of America. Uh, and he died for it. He got two gunshots into the forehead, and they called it suicide. And there was uh, the, there was that guy. I can't remember his name. He was researching the the Franklin scandal, and uh, he was flying with his son to a, a ball game. I think. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then his his plane crashed under yeah. suspicious circumstances. I mean, it had. Well, and, yeah. and look at the you know I always forget his name, but you know he was a, a wonderful go- uh, senator from Wisconsin. They apparently you know he he met with Cheney a week before his death. He basically said, you better come on board with us going to war in Iraq or else. Yeah. And then he dies a week later with his family in a plane accident. Can you remember his name? I, I that was, yeah, that was Austin Paul Wellstone, I think. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Yes. And, and that was pretty suspicious, too. So, yeah, I mean, if you make enough waves, you know, and, and have a high enough profile where they feel threatened by your presence, you know, they send their goons there. Like I say, it's an international crime syndicate government that we have. And they will send their assassin goons out and silence people that uh, become an annoyance to them because they are too busy telling the truth about them. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, the Franklin scandal reminded me of something that uh, that you'd written because... Again, one of the articles from earlier this year that you wrote was the power pedophilia in the U.S. government. And yeah, that was one that Mikhail Chosovsky would not post. Uh, so I went to – that's what prompted me, actually, to go to Veterans Today. They did ultimately post it. Um, but, yeah, that, that uh, Franklin scandal um, – and you know that, you know, okay, that's a scandal, one scandal. But, no, they, they have – and I have also written another article last year on, on – Basically, the, the uh, human slavery and the trafficking and the sex, uh, you know, scandals that are going on with children and, mm-hmm. and young girls and, and all over the world. They're, they're like taking children. I mean, it's a huge problem in Canada with the native uh, Aborigine Indians there, uh, you know, where they disappear all the time. And, and, and then there, you know, there's some media that come out and... But, uh, you know, Prince Andrew in England was involved in, in you know, uh, mm-hmm. having sex with uh, underage, you know, trafficked slaves. Um, you know, so it, it's a widespread crime ring that these people are subhuman. I mean, that, I mean, when you're talking about doing terrible things sexually to children and killing them, too, in rituals, satanic rituals, I mean, that's got to be about the most evil thing you can even think of, mm-hmm. much less actually do. And, and that's what the royalty, the judges, the politicians, the big corporate heads, that's what these, you know, <laughs> psychopaths do. They're evil, pedophilic psychopaths that are doing these horrible things. And there's these large rings that they actually you know, have a supply, a constant fresh supply of new meat of little children and, and girls and stuff. It's just, you know, it's crazy. But that's how sick these people are that are in control. Mm-hmm. And then on the, on the other hand, 
So we've mentioned psychopaths a bunch, and you've written about it. But there was another article that you wrote, uh, Psychopathologizing the Nation with Mental Disorders Drives Big Pharma Profit and Totalitarian Control. So on the one hand, we've got these truly mentally deviant individuals that are just uh, totally sick by any normal human standard. But then on the other, we've got this, what you call the psychopathologizing, where, well, can you just talk about that a bit and uh, and what's going on in the, yeah. in the psychiatric and psychological world? Yeah, and this area is close to home because obviously I made a career in mental health mm-hmm. where I had to work with psychiatrists all the time. Um, yeah, I, I think what we've seen is, is uh, basically the criminalization of the psychiatry profession uh, in marriage with big pharma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically, I mean, there are good psychiatrists. They're, they're caring, uh, very good therapists who are psychiatrists. So I'm, I'm not like, it's not, you know, like a whole blanket that if you're a psychiatrist, you're, you know, a butcher for big pharma. But, <laughs> and I, I was fortunate to work with a handful, actually, that were very, very good. So, I want to first say that before I blast them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're they're whores for the big drug companies. That's all they are. They they're drug pushing whores. The FDA drug pushing whores. You know, uh, they want it. It's a diabolical <laughs> aim and goal to uh, to make people worse, make people sick, and and that's what these drugs do. They they mess with people's heads and make them worse. And, uh, I mean, there are limited cases where, of course, the medication can save people's lives. So I also have to say that as a qualified state. But there are more people who die at the hands of, of bad medicine, bad prescriptions, errors in the, by the doctors, uh, you know, that then... I think it's like the third leading cause of death in America. I mean, it's it's just totally out of control. And, yeah, it's used by the system to brainwash and program and and, uh, and zombify and, and uh, get the, a person unable to have clear thinking processes to be able to make their own life choices that are good for them. Uh, yeah, it, it is. there is a diabolical kind of... Uh, aim to the control of the masses through these huge evil corporations that make so much profit uh, with these big pharma corporations. Um, so, yeah, it, it, there's another area that's really out of hand and out of control that we also need to educate and inform so people can get themselves free of it. And, and you know, whether it's just, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be uh, a prescription medication. It, it can, it's just the over-the-counter. I mean, if you, I, I, I don't watch TV anymore, but I remember, you know, just in, in like if you are watching like the NBC News or something, and you, and they go to the commercial breaks. It's like you know, there's probably in a half-hour broadcast, there's like you know, 12, 15 minutes of mm-hmm. uh, one medication over-the-counter, after or you know, ones that you have to get prescriptions. But it's just drugs, 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 drugs. You know, so, I mean, if it's not the illegal kind that, that our government is profiting from, billions, through the illegal international drug trade, 
It's the big pharma corporations that are just making a killing and destroying people's lives. You know, so yeah, it's, they're the enemy. They're the enemy. The government and the big corporations, they're the enemy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, there's another aspect, too. Uh, I've noticed over the past several years that every once in a while there's an article that comes out on a new a new psychiatric disorder that's just totally ridiculous. Like, I can't remember the names that they've come up with for any of them, but there's the, the one about people who are too concerned about what they eat. And, uh, Orthorexia. Yeah. And, but uh, what seems... Well, it seems to be a a trend that's been going on for years in the psychiatric community that they're basically pathologizing normal, well, either good human activities or outlooks on the world or just normal responses to the world. So, um, and just and making making these normal responses a disease because anyone that's living in this world is going to experience some trauma or going to have some kind of inner con over what's going. Just to be between the way or feel thing, so we see these people just becoming written off as as mentally ill, and then that gives an excuse to big pharma to make billions of dollars selling them drugs that don't work and that they don't need. And it, so it, the, it's another sign of how totally backwards things are, where the people in power and the people uh, shaping society are the ones that are truly sick, and the ones. Um, the the majority who are just reacting to that and having a healthy normal reaction um, are the ones that are written off as uh, you know not quite human when it's the total opposite. Yeah, yeah, I I do believe that it's it's all part of the you know the globalist agenda is to get people under control and and I believe that if if you get a diagnosis it's like a sentence for life mm-hmm. you know the whole. Uh, you know the the, I can't think of the word, but when people are ostracized with a with a mental you know disorder, um, you know it, it's just horrible that people are 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 being judged, you know misjudged, um, you know, and it, and it's all basically for control over the masses. It's like a very diabolical purpose um, to pathologize every. You know, you can probably. I apologize to anybody nowadays, and I see it as you know. Once you get that label, they they then will then come in and have the the means, the authoritative means to lock you up. Yeah. You know, I mean that's where it's all headed. You know, it's our freedom that that's at stake here, and uh, the freedom of the body to be free. And uh, they're just total fanatical, pathological control freaks that want absolute control over the masses and this is just one spearheaded approach that uh, all the food just like the horrible vaccination you know that's uh, got a whole program in the health department human health department now where they have a plan in place that's going to make uh, vaccinations for adults mandatory it's bad enough that they're destroying so many of the kids in the, around the world but they also have this diabolical plan of vaccinating every single adult American. And while they're doing that, they'll probably be placing a chip, a microchip in it. That's their agenda as well. So that they can program us to their microchip. You know, I mean, there's a lot of that going on now too, you know, and, and they're doing all kinds of horrific uh, weapons with 
causing people's heart and sending all, all kind of, you know, electromagnetic pulses uh, to make people crazy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there with this technology now of controlling people. And, and there's a lot of weapons they have in their arsenal that they're using against us. So, yeah, we have our jobs cut out for us to try and inform and educate the people to uh, make choices where they're not under control and under the thumb of a, a tyrannical government that's out of control. And that's really what it seems to be about. It's choice and uh, and giving people the information to make an informed choice where they can. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, Joaquin, it's been a, a wonderful show. Um, you've you bring as much uh, energy and passion and uh, and knowledge to this conversation as you do in your articles, and we really enjoyed having you here. Uh, well, I enjoyed uh, sounding off. It gave me a great little uh, soapbox to just dish it out uh, as I see it. So thank you, guys. Well, before we wrap up, though, I was wondering uh, if we could ask you just um, guess what your future research uh, might look like. Um, this uh, this most recent article on, on Nibiru was uh, a bit different from your usual uh, writing, and you know, I thought it was interesting that you were going into to new fields. So I was wondering if, uh, if you could talk on that a little bit. Well, I, the direction I want to, and I'm going to do this in Bali, I, I think what I would like to accomplish is, is uh, we do so much of exposing the truth that, of the horror that's going on. And, and I have been accused myself of, you know, just focusing almost exclusively on, on the negative of, of this going on. It's not going to be easy, but what I want to do is compile and, and do as much research to compile information on what people can do, you know, to kind of empower people to move in the right direction uh, rather than just tearing down what is out there and going on to give people some sense of, well, I can do this and, and I have this option and, and we can do this together and, and, you know, to give people ideas as to how they can come together and be empowered. Uh, and, and so I want to really work on that. Uh, that's my challenge that I plan to do um, in the next, week or two or three or take, uh, and, and be a unifying force of, of what we can do right now. Just, you know, talking about what's going on, but, but also coming together in some kind of organizational fashion where we uh, empower the local communities and all that. I think that's the direction that I'm headed. It's a good one. Yeah, and it's much needed too. Mm -hmm. People need hope right now. I mean, yeah. we can lay out all this, all the terrible stuff that's happening, and and it can really just just put a person right on the ground. And you have to be able to also offer them a hand. Here's yeah. what comes next. Well, there's that. Yeah, there's that deconstructive process, but we also need something constructive. So it's it's nice that uh that you'll be writing about that stuff and look forward to reading it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to thank you again for uh, for coming on the show today, Joaquim. And it's a funny thing how it happened. Uh, as I mentioned to you, you you wrote uh, 
your article on Ibiru, and that very same morning I was going to write you to ask you if you wanted to be on the show. So funny how things work out. Uh, Synchronicity. Pro- yes. Synchronicity. <laughs> probably no accident there. Yeah. Um, I do want to remind our listeners that uh, Joaquin Hagopian's articles can be found on American Empire Exposed, which is empireexposed.blogs.com. You can also read his book online at redredsea.net forward slash westpointhagopian forward slash index.html. It's a hell of a read. And um, I hope we hear from you in the future. I hope uh, you can come on again and talk with us about what you're seeing and doing. And uh, and we appreciate you being here today. All right. Well, thank you all. All right. Thank you, Joaquin. And just a reminder, tomorrow uh, you can uh, behind the headlines and the Eastern Standard Time next Friday as well. Help at our shows. And thanks for listening in, everybody. Have a great week and take care. Thanks. Thanks again, Martin. Take care. All right. Thank you all. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Have a good week. You too. Bye.